Well, occasionally I see Jay Leno, and you know about his little interview with people on the street. He asks them what should be really obvious questions, and they're like, uh, I don't know. And so uh, recently he did uh, a little piece on the 4th of July and Independence Day and, and asked, what does the 4th of July celebrate? And some struggled to know it was Independence Day. And uh, when he would ask, from whom did we seek our independence, uh, over and over again, you know, people missed it, that it was Britain. And we could go on down with the obvious things that become kind of humorous. But the items that you just saw in the video where you see some of our founding fathers make such overt reference to God, to Christ, the gospel, to the scriptures. Uh, increasingly, that's missed by people and not known by people. Um, I am grateful for this country. Uh, if you've traveled abroad, uh, I would assume that you have a deep gratitude for this country. And we don't mean that with any disrespect for any place else. It just, by contrast, stands out. And uh, you feel very, very blessed that we have the freedoms and the liberties uh, that we enjoy. We have uh, a land of opportunity, truly. Uh, you can uh, find an education. You can find employment. You can make uh, uh, a gainful income and provide for a family. You, you can make a tremendous life here. And a lot of that's encapsulated in what we have come to call the American dream. The uh, Constitution itself is filled with references to the impact of God and Christ upon our country. The Declaration of Independence said that it was with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence that we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In 1787, when the Constitutional Convention was taking place, Ben Franklin stood and said, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. As do we. However, as uh, tremendous as our beginnings and our founding of this nation, we have had, uh, like many other countries in the world, cycles of losing our moorings, of drifting from our founding and from our uh, uh, principles. And so as we've had those kinds of uh, seasons of drifting, God has always come and moved and stirred in the lives of people in such a way as to call them back to himself. Back before the revolution, that kind of drifting had already taken place in our country. And through people like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and many others, a great awakening took place. 
and tens of thousands of people began to repent and to turn to God and to humbly seek forgiveness and restoration. And our country was once again placed on a correct course. But just give us a few years and we will drift again. And uh, as we got into the uh, early part of the 1800s, that drifting had resulted in such a waywardness that uh, new spokespersons, new preachers began to hit the uh, scene, particularly the westward scene. And there were a lot of these camp meetings, sometimes attended by 10 to 15,000 people without amplification like we have today. And uh, those preachers would get out there and just yell at the top of their lungs uh, the call to repentance and the good news and the gospel and uh, revivalism like a flame uh, blowing across a prairie began to move across our country. And it was a second great awakening. You get us past the uh, Civil War and into a more industrialized age. And uh, America began to know a prosperity that she had never known before. And we began to make uh, money, as they would say, hand over fist. And uh, that prosperity was the seedbed for another season of waywardness. And once again, God began to move primarily in urban centers like New York, where businessmen began to come together for prayer at noon every day, sometimes to the tune of 10,000 people coming together for prayer. And in uh, great cities like Chicago, similar things would take place. And uh, people like D.L. Moody, who came out of Chicago, began to speak all across the country and call us back to God. And uh, once again, there was a tremendous awakening. 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, even into the 20th century, with all the tumult and uh, uh, craziness that was going on in the 60s. Of all places in Southern California with a bunch of hippies, suddenly a Jesus movement broke out. A lot of it being fueled by Jesus music. And that began to sweep across our country and and, uh, eventually to Europe as well. And uh, the Jesus movement became uh, a seedbed for a lot of churches being planted and a lot of hearts being turned back to God. And here we are in a 21st century Once again, having drifted. And once again, finding ourselves with some significant gap between ourselves and God. And you don't have to uh, watch much news or even uh, circulate much throughout communities to see we're a mess. We are quickly plummeting to some very calamitous days unless something happens to intervene by God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because you know these things. But uh, since 1973 and the Roe v. Wade decision, 49.5 million preborn babies have been aborted. We could talk about drugs. We could talk about crime. We could talk about one out of six women will be sexually assaulted sometime in their lifetime. That as we speak right now, every two minutes, someone is sexually assaulted. 
We could talk about child abuse and spouse abuse and domestic violence. We could talk about the breakdown in the American family. That now marriage and family are passe and no longer necessary. We could talk about racism, prejudice, segregation. All these years after King and the Kennedys still with us. We could talk about political corruption. We could talk about the loss of integrity. We don't really need to talk that much about these things because you're aware of it. You've seen it. Uh, some of you have been impacted by it or, or people that you love have been impacted by these things. Poverty. Homelessness. Illiteracy. And it just kind of begs the question, so where is that, that mighty move of God that has been... So much a blessing of God to happen in times past in our history. Where is that? And the answer to that question is found in another question. Where is the church of the living God? Because as God has moved in our midst in times past, he has done so through his people. He has done so through his church and through key spokespeople. In his church. And so one must ask, where is the church right now if there is to be a mighty move of God upon our land again? Some of you are aware that there are half as many churches today per population as there was in 1900. Half as many today. And 30% fewer per population as there was in 1950. 4,000 churches die every year. Just close their doors and go away. North America is the only continent in the world where Christianity is not growing. Giving by proportion of people is less today than it was in the Great Depression. When there were soup lines and people, you know, begging for a piece of bread. The U.S. is the number two missionary receiving country in the world. More missionaries are sent here to help us find Christ than almost anywhere else on the planet. 3,500 people leave the church daily, just get disillusioned or disinterested, discouraged. I'm through with that. And we're told that 250,000 out of the 300,000 Protestant churches in our country are stagnant or dying. In our own northwest region, amongst the fellowship of churches that we seek to partner with and try to reach this region with the good news. Over the last 20 years, we've had 35% fewer baptisms, which means that fewer number are coming to Christ. We've had 21% fewer church members, 26% fewer in Bible study, while the population has increased 46%. a dire picture. 
The mighty move of God. Where is it? Well, you have to say, well, where is the church? Because as goes the church, goes this nation. As frail, as weak, as broken, as busted as the church can be, it's still the bride of Christ. It's still God's plan A to make His presence known into this world. And there is no plan B. And so the calling of this hour and of this Independence Day is for us to return. As we've returned previously in our history. To seek God humbly, prayerfully, brokenheartedly. To call upon Him to have mercy upon us, His church, and upon this land. Because make no mistake, God has not blessed America so much because America holds some kind of special affection for Him. God has seen fit to bless America because He wanted America to be a blessing to others. And at whatever point that we are no longer a blessing to others, we've got serious problems. So when we start talking about the church making her voice known, having her heart turned back toward the Lord, we have to say at the same time, this will not happen easily. Because there are sinister messages in today's church. Out of many of the congregations and many of the voices that remain, and some of which are the most loud, they in fact share a heresy. They want to tell you that uh, following God is about Him blessing you so that you prosper. That following God is about solving your problems. That following God is about taking the, the storms out of the seas of your life and to make your life more smooth and more comfortable. Can God do all those things? Absolutely. Does God do those kinds of things? All the time. But that's not what our message is. Our message is not how God is that great psychoanalyst in the sky who can bring the kind of therapy you need for your life and fix your problems. Our message is that we are a broken, busted, sinful, rebellious, in opposition to God kind of people who stand condemned already. And our only hope is that God would extend grace to us. And he did so in the person of Christ who died an atoning death for us. He was our substitute. He took our punishment so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have life with God. That's our message. And that is our mission to share that good news and that message. Anything else is way after that. And any time it elevates itself to the front, it becomes an idol. And all idols must be deposed. So, that's where we are in our series in Matthew. For those of you that are new with us today, we've been in the book of Matthew for several weeks. And we're in a section of the Gospel of Matthew that's now in chapter 10.
This mission to make his good news known to others and to extend his invitation for people to turn and to come to him. And we pick it up in verse 34 today when he begins to talk about the conflict that can happen when you live on mission. Verse 34 of chapter 10. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. Well, there's a stopper. I thought he was the prince of peace. I thought it was prophesied by Isaiah that uh, when he came, he would be the one who not only held all these other titles, but one of his titles would be Prince of Peace. Wasn't it Zechariah who prophesied that he would speak peace into the nations? And in fact, when he was born, when Jesus, the Messiah, was born in this world, doesn't Luke tell us that there was an angelic announcement? Peace on earth. What does this mean? Do not Jesus saying, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Leave your Bible open. Let's keep looking at those verses as we talk about them. So when we start talking about the mission of Christ and the conflict that can happen with that, there's two things that we need to keep in mind that come right out of this text. And the first is this. Divisiveness. There is no more divisive person in history than Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to domesticate Jesus and make him some kind of guru who wears a lot of hair product and goes around in flowing robes spouting pious niceties, then there's nothing divisive about that. But if you want to get to the historic, biblical Jesus who came to make clear your life is in rebellion and in opposition to God and you stand condemned unless you follow me. And there is no way out of condemnation unless you follow me. For there is no more exclusive statement than that. There is no more divisive statement than that. All religions are not just different paths or different roads to the same destination. Jesus is declaring with his life and his lips, there is one way, every other way is wrong. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. That's, that's pretty divisive. And Jesus said, that will be so offensive to some people that they will ridicule you, they will oppose you, they will jeer you, they will ostracize you, they will hurt you if they can. And we got into a lot of that last week, the kind of courage it takes to be on mission. But then he brings it even home today. He says, this, this will even happen in your family. Because for every person that chooses not to accept my message, every person that chooses not to follow me, they will, in effect, at whatever degree, oppose you for following me. So count on it. There will be conflict and it will be divisive in nature and it will demand decisions. Who's going to be first? And preeminent in your life. Now, don't misunderstand. There's no one more pro-family than Jesus. The Bible is a book that is extremely pro-family. From cover to cover, it's filled with wisdom and treasure about how to make a marriage and a family work. and, And to thrive and to be well. Family is God's idea. But family is never to be elevated to a place of greater exaltation than Jesus himself in our lives. And if we are placed in situations and circumstances where we have to choose, is it going to be Jesus or the will of my family, what my family is trying to say to me? He says, it better be Jesus every time or you're not my follower. And so, many of you know that when we came out here 20 years ago, uh, Sherry and I left all of our family back in the South. Thanks be to God that they were supportive, they were affirming, they were loving, they blessed us away to go do what we thought and they thought that God wanted us to do when we came out here to plant this church. But friends, if they had opposed us, And if they had said, don't you dare take our grandchildren 2,000 miles away from us, what are you thinking? Have you lost your... And if if they had given us grief and a hard time about it, love you. Got to go. That's the way that plays out. Now, friends, we just had a tremendous youth day around here a few weeks ago. God's blessed us with great kids. We had a tremendous vacation Bible school just another week ago. These are are children that have been stewarded to you and to this church family. God's got his hand on some of them to be in some aspect of vocational ministry someday. Now, we hope all of them become men and women of God. We hope all of them uh, have families of God. We hope all of them are on mission for him in the business place or in the educational institutions or wherever they're going to be living out the, the better part of their lives. But for some of those that he's got his hand on to send to Africa or India or whatever... We better find a way to come alongside that, bless that, and affirm that, and not stand in the way of that. Mom and Dad. So, Jesus said, here's what you've got to get in terms of how this conflict gets played out. You will begin to feel pressure 
you'll begin to feel pressed in upon and you will want to compromise. You will want to cave in. You will want to appease and make others feel better about all this. And he said, don't you dare. Because if you try to avoid the conflict, hold on to your life and protect your life and make it more smooth sailing than, than what all these stormy, choppy waters are right now. If you try to hold on to your life in that kind of way, you've lost it. But if you open your life to me and say, here I am and here it is and, you know, whatever chips fall. Then, friend, you've found your life. But Jesus was pretty clear about that. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I, I said this to you, I don't know how many times. This is not a call for us to be obnoxious, irritating jerks. Okay, Jesus is not saying, go thou and be offensive. (laughs) Because the gospel is offensive. He doesn't want you being offensive. He just knows the gospel is offensive. It's good news to everyone who will accept it and receive it and live it. But for those who reject it. They uh, eventually, if they pay any attention to it at all, despise it. And so the gospel is offensive. And he just knows if you take a stand for the gospel in this social setting, in this neighborhood, in this work setting, whatever. There will be those occasions where the gospel in your life is offensive to other people, not your personality, not your mouth, because you don't know how to, you know, have a little restraint. Now, uh, one of the guys that uh, I got a lot of heroes in history to back it up before the founding of our country. One of those is a guy named John Bunyan. I mean, you're familiar with John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress. The, uh, you know, wonderful treasure that he penned back in the 1600s. A British guy that um, was a very humble, simple kind of guy. He, uh, his father was a tinker. He ended up becoming a tinker in his early 20s. And uh, he fell in love with a gal, and he was going to marry this gal. And uh, she was so poor, the only dowry her father had for their marriage was two books. And one of those books was uh, about piety in life. And he happened to read that, and that warmed his heart toward Christ. And he began to... Uh, hang out with some people that did a regular Bible study, <clears throat> and he came to Christ. And he became uh, such a student of the Scriptures and so uh, passionate about Christ and the worship of Christ that uh, he became burdened about uh, what he thought were skewed ideas about Scripture. And so he began to engage in some debates and write little papers to refute this and to refute that. And the next thing you know, he began to preach. And uh, he would preach in some of these uh, little outcropping of Bible studies and some of these gatherings out in in a a field or whatever. And he became quite popular in his preaching, began to gather a lot of crowds. There had been some period in British history of laxity about these kinds of things until Charles II came to the throne. And he began to enforce once again, it's the Church of England and only the Church of England and everything else must go away. And so when that happened... And the edict was pronounced that nobody can do, you know, the kind of preaching that Bunyan does. He kept preaching. 
He kept bringing forth good news and calling people to Christ and to, to find new life and new hope in Christ. And so he got arrested. He got thrown into jail. And they basically told him, we don't want you in jail. We're not going to keep you in jail if you will just agree to stop preaching. He said, I can't agree to that. Year one, year two, year three. We're going to, we'll let you out any time. You just agreed to no longer preach. Can't do it. Year five, year six. The guy was in jail 12 years. 12, 12 years. Because he would not agree to not ex exercising the freedom to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was while he was imprisoned that he wrote this wonderful allegory that we call Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, for a couple hundred years, it was the number two most circulated book in the world after the Bible. If you haven't read it, get a contemporary translation of it and, and, and enjoy it. In fact, there's an animated production underway for this year for that. Just wait once the cartoon. But uh, it'll bless you. But here's the deal. This guy was married... And had six or seven children, one of whom was blind. And all this time that he is in prison, and you're looking at an ancient drawing of that where uh, one of his little kids had been granted a visitation to him while he was in prison. He wasn't there providing. He wasn't there parenting. He wasn't there supporting what's going on in his family life. And he said on multiple occasions, it's as if... Someone is ripping the flesh off of my body that I cannot be with my family, but I must not compromise for the gospel. See, it's one thing for a single guy. Okay, I'm not leaving. I, I'm just going to stand this ground. But it was, it was devastating his family for him to take that stand. And so it raises the question on this Independence Day. What kind of church will we be? So you know church is not a building. And church is not primarily an institution. Church is you. Me. It's a collection of people. And so when we say what kind of church will we be, we're really saying what kind of follower of Christ Will you be? Will you be one that is on mission? Will you be one that has turned from doing life my own way? I'm going to do it his way. And as I am on mission, I will seek him for the courage that I need. I will seek him for the grace that's going to be necessary for the conflict. But I'm a recipient of the good news. I am going to be a sharer of the good news. Is that the kind of Christian you're going to be? By the way, there is none other. That will face the conflict as it arises. Let's bow together and pray. So, Father, it's a day of celebration, and we do celebrate, but we do so... Soberly. We acknowledge 
that our nation is in trouble. And we confess and agree with you. Our trouble is primarily because of our drifting from you. And so as your followers, here we are. We're already signed up, suited up to serve you and your purposes, not just in this world, but in this country. Not just in this country, but in this region, the Northwest. Not just in this region, but in our specific town and neighborhood. So, Father, we freshly consecrate ourselves to you and your mission for the sake of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.